John 4, 27 to 42 says this. Just then, his disciples came back. They marveled that he was talking with a woman, but no one said, what do you seek or why are you talking with her? So the woman left her water jar and went away into town and said to the people, come and see a man who told me all that I ever did. Can this be the Christ? They went out of the town and were coming to him. Meanwhile, the disciples were urging him, saying, Rabbi, eat. But he said to them, I have food to eat that you do not know about. So the disciples said to one another, Has anyone brought him something to eat? And Jesus said to them, My food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. Do not say, there are yet, do you not say there are yet four months and then comes the harvest? Look, I tell you, lift up your eyes and see that the fields are white for harvest. Already the one who reaps is receiving wages and gathering fruit for eternal life, so that sower and reaper may rejoice together. For here the saying holds true, one sows and another reaps. I sent you to reap that for which you did not labor. Others have labored, and you have entered into their labor. Many Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me all that I had ever did. So when the Samaritans came to him, they asked him to stay with them, and he stayed there two days. And many more believed because of his word. They said to the woman, It is no longer because of what you said that we believe, for we have heard for ourselves, and we know that this is indeed the Savior of the world. Let's pray. God, we thank you for your word. Thank you for its faithfulness to challenge us and encourage us and uh, build up our faith to remind us of who you are and what you have accomplished on our behalf. God, I pray that your Holy Spirit would speak through me this morning that you would be honored by the preaching of your word. I pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. So today we're talking about uh, the Father's work. And what we see in the passage and and what we really know, uh, if we think about it very long, is that God has been at work for a long, long, long time. (laughs) So often we get wrapped up in what's going on in, in the midst of where we're at concerned about the problems of this day and wondering, you know, how things are going to pan out and forget the fact that God has been sustaining the the earth's existence since who knows how long and and that he's been more particularly uh, doing a redemptive work since he created the human race. From the very beginning in the garden when Adam and Eve sinned, God is the one that comes and restores them to the position that he originally had given them, clothing them with the skin of an animal and saying, you can't stay in this garden, but now you will continue to labor as I've called you to do. And in that, he gives them a promise that one will come who is the seed of the woman who will crush the head of Satan. 
the Father's work has been going on for a long, long time. And we have the opportunity to step into what He is doing. I was realizing that some as, uh, as we were working through this passage, and again, we're um, in the middle of Jesus' encounter with the Samaritan woman. And last week we talked about how this event really should not have happened. Uh, that a Samaritan woman to a Jew was considered to be, by, like, uh, by codification of the law, um, ceremonially unclean in a perpetual state. So at, at all times, a Samaritan woman was considered unclean to a Jew. That is, if they went into the presence of a Samaritan woman, they then would have to go through a cleansing process to go back into any sort of worship. And so he talked about this, uh, this very fact that Jesus has come to a well, that he, uh, thirsting for water, speaks to this Samaritan woman who is there at the noonday drawing water for herself without anybody else around and that he speaks to her, she is caught off guard and shocked by the fact because one, Samaritans had nothing to do with Jews and two, she was a Samaritan woman and he a man, uh, only the two of them there. And we saw last week how he challenged her and called her uh, to see who he was and understand a little bit more about who he was We'll talk some more about that today. At the end of last week's passage, uh, Jesus had said to this woman, um, said that, that she uh, had basically called her out on sort of her past. The woman had had five husbands, and she was living with a man who, who wasn't her husband. And, and Jesus had sort of gotten to that with her by asking her a question. He said, you know, bring your husband to speak with me. She said, I have no husband. And Jesus said, you're right. You've had five and the one that you're staying with is not your husband. Immediately, the woman realizes that Jesus has some sort of special knowledge about who she is and about her background. She realizes that he must be at least a prophet who is speaking into her life. They go back and forth for a little bit, if you remember, uh, sort of talking about where worship is supposed to take place, whether it's in Jerusalem or on the mount in Samaria, uh, Mount Gerizim. And they sort of have a debate about that. And Jesus says, I tell you the truth, the time is coming when you will not worship on this mountain or in that place, but the true worshipers will worship in spirit and in truth. And that the Father is seeking such worshipers to come before him. And it's after that discussion that this woman says she knows that, that the Messiah or the prophet will come and tell them all things. And, and sort of having like a realization that you might be that person and realizing that, you know, this is what we expect the conversation to be like with the one who comes. And Jesus concludes that time in that passage by saying these simple words, I who speak to you am he. I am the prophet. I am the Messiah. I am the one you have been waiting for. Right after he says those words, you can no doubt imagine the woman is sort of still sitting with that truth 
processing that statement and saying, what in, what in the world is going on? It's not how she expected to, uh, uh, the kind of water she expected to draw that day. And at that moment is when the disciples come back. The disciples had gone into her town to obtain food for them to eat during their journey. And so they had gone into town and as they come back, they're like wondering what's going on as well because Jesus is here speaking with a Samaritan woman. Yet at this point, they've seen enough from Jesus that they don't really ask him any questions. They just sort of trust that everything is okay. No one said, what do you seek or why are you talking with her? And because no one asked that question, the woman left. You see, most likely uh, she was sitting there waiting for some condemnation, not upon Jesus, but upon her for what she might have done. So because no question came up, she leaves her water jar and goes into the town And says this to the people. Come, see a man who told me all that I ever did. Can this be the Christ? And the people of the town began to go out and were coming to Jesus. And so in the midst of while she leaves, the disciples are still sort of confused about what's going on. And they start asking the first thing we want to deal with, which is the Father's work has spiritual food. The disciples urge Jesus in this moment, Rabbi, eat. You know, it's time to eat. We've got to keep going on our journey. You know, take some food. Jesus says, I have food to eat that you don't know about. And similar to past questions that we've seen come up in John, the disciples are clueless and they're like, did someone bring him food? Did we miss something? That <laughs> They just said to one another, has, has anyone brought him something to eat? Jesus responds and says, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. Jesus isn't concerned about physical nourishment anymore. He's concerned about the work that is right at hand. I mean, imagine the scene. Uh, This woman has left to go give her testimony to this city to say, hey, come, this, this man has told me all that I've done, and I've done quite a bit. And those people are coming out to him. They've le- they're leaving the town and coming out to see this man whom she has testified about. Jesus isn't concerned about sitting down and having a meal. He's most concerned about the ministry that's about to happen right in front of him. So he says to them, Do not say there are yet four months and then the harvest comes. He's saying, don't you guys know? You guys know how to see when it's about time for harvest. You know the seasons and how they change and you understand all of that, but you cannot see in the spiritual that a harvest is about to occur. He says, look, I tell you, lift up your eyes and see that the fields are white for harvest. Already the one who reaps is receiving wages and gathering fruit for eternal life. Jesus isn't concerned (laughs) about getting some grub. And who knows how long it takes them to prepare whatever they're going to eat. He's not concerned about it. He says, I've got things to do that are way more satisfying than a piece of bread. 
says, I've got people's souls that are coming out to me that I have to testify to and will minister to. Spiritual food. Paul at one point uh, gives these words to Timothy in 2 Timothy. And I was reminded of them as I was reading this passage. It says this, I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is the judge of the living and the dead, and by his appearing and his kingdom, preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching. For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. His instruction to Timothy, Paul's instruction to Timothy was, be ready in season and out of season. It's simple in some ways for me in, in season, right? I know when season is personally. It's a Sunday morning. <laughs> I know every week that on Sunday morning I'm going to share something from the Lord about what he's talking to me about or what he's talking to us about from the passage. It's more difficult to see when I'm not prepared, when it's out of season, when you might be at the grocery store or you might be on your way in the car or you might be talking with a friend. When the time isn't set up as some appointment in some way or out of season, he says to them, be ready in season and out of season. And that's exactly what we see Jesus modeling for us in this passage. He says, I'm not worried about food. There's an opportunity here to share the love of the Father with these people. I have food that you don't know about. More satisfying than anything that you could ever offer me. So we see Jesus take advantage of this opportunity to minister out of season. Next we see uh, these people come to realize that Jesus is the Savior of the world. How do they come to realize that? I've already read this piece, but um, the woman goes back, right? She goes back to her town. And she says this to them um, in verse 29, Come, see a man who told me all that I ever did. Can this be the Christ? See a man who told me all that I ever did. Can this be the Christ? Many in this town knew this woman, most likely. And they also knew all that she had done. And so for her to come and say, this man has told me all that I ever did. It was a powerful testimony in itself. And because this city knew all that she had done, word had likely gotten around about her past. See, it always starts that way for us. We see it in the Gospels and we see it in the preaching throughout, um, throughout the New Testament that God calls us to repentance. <laughs> Jesus and every person that he interacts with speaks to them right where they're at. To Nicodemus, he rebukes Nicodemus because, hey, you're a teacher of the law and you're not getting this? How are you not getting this? 
You're a teacher. You should know that there ought to be some spiritual rebirth, that you are dead inside. The law is showing you that, and you need rebirth. He's saying it to this woman. He says, the root issue, the reason you're here at noonday, it's because of your past. You've got to repent and find wholeness and restoration in the Father's love for you. The rich man who came to Jesus and, Lord, what must I do to be saved? He said, sell everything that you have and give it to the poor. Why did he say that to that man? Because his wealth had become his God. Jesus comes to us and speaks to us right where we're broken. He says, you got to lay this down and trust in me. So he does that with her and tells her everything that she'd ever done. And he, he had no knowledge of this before. And now he knows it and, and says to her, hey, the man you're with is not even your husband. And you've had five husbands before this. So at this testimony, the people come out and, and come to see who this man is and what is he about. And picking up down in, in verse 39, we see many Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony that he told me all that I ever did. Many believe that God is at work in this man simply because this man who is, doesn't know them at all has told her what she has done. They say that's miraculous. And they come and believe in him. And so when the Samaritans came to him, they asked him to stay with them. And he stays with them for a couple of days. And many more believed, it says in verse 41, because of Jesus' words. And then verse 42 tells us this, that they said to the woman, it is no longer because of what you said that we believe, for we have heard for ourselves. And we know that this is indeed the Savior of the world. So at first they come out because they're like, who is this guy that has found out all that you have done without knowing our city? They come out to see him and they believe who he is. And as Jesus comes and, and talks to them more individually and probably just as emphatically to them as he did to her, they also come to a point of realizing it is not because of what he told you, it's because of what he has told us individually. That's how it works even today. As we go about uh, preaching the gospel, sharing the gospel, speaking of what Christ has done in us and sharing our testimony with those around us, it's not our testimony that saves someone it's what Jesus has done in us that saves someone. And as we shared the story of, of how we came to know that Jesus is our only hope, that we're sinners in need of a Savior and He has died for our sins, how that truth changed our lives and turned us unto the Father, that truth begins to take root in other people as well. And just as we examined ourselves when we heard the gospel at first and said, yeah, I am a sinner. There is no way for me to do this on my own. I can see that full well. 
I need Jesus. Jesus convicts us individually, personally, not through the testimony or faith of another person, not by association with some entity or organization, but Jesus personally, continually speaking to us by his Holy Spirit and calling us to repentance and faith in Jesus Christ. It is no longer because of this woman's testimony. It is because Jesus himself has spoken to us directly. They realize at this moment that he is the Savior of the world. For them, uh, the truth is, at this particular time, they un- it's unlikely that they fully understand what that means because Jesus hasn't gone to the cross yet. Uh, all that they're recognizing here is that this is the Teheb, as they called it in Samaria, which is Samaria- Samaritans were looking forward to the prophet who would come, and the Jews were looking forward to Messiah who would come. And what they're seeing here is that maybe he being the savior of the world means that Teheb, the prophet, and Messiah are the same. This is the first real cross-cultural ministry that happens in Jesus' time. Jesus has stepped across into Samaria, have a whole different set of worship style, though very closely rooted to Judaism, different as well. They are seeing this man, he's, he's the savior of the world. Do they know what that means? Totally, they don't. They simply know that God is working in this man. They can't explain it. They may not know where it's going or where its end is. But what they realize from personal interaction with him is that this is the Savior of the world. He is doing something powerful. But we know where it does go. We know how this story does come to fruition. And it's really very similar to how it happens for these people. We have the particulars now because we've seen that Jesus did in fact die on a cross. That his means of saving the world wasn't by overthrowing the uh, impending powers around him or taking up, uh, taking up arms and taking back the land of Israel in some powerful uh, uh, spiritual way or I guess miraculous way, but rather through giving his life on a cross. The Samaritans likely didn't see that coming. The disciples didn't even see that coming. The ones who were with him for the whole years of his ministry were blown away by the fact that Jesus would now go to a cross. I mean, at the very last hour, Peter is ready to take up arms against those who are coming out against the Lord. They didn't understand what it meant for Jesus to be the Savior of the world, and now we do. And the disciples soon knew as well I want to turn to Acts chapter 2. And I'm going to read verses 22 to 39. 
promise we won't spend a long time with this, but I do want to read a portion of Peter's sermon after Pentecost. Before this point, Peter had confessed that Jesus is the Christ and, and had believed that he was the Savior of the world, uh, but it wasn't until after he saw Jesus risen from the dead and the Holy Spirit falling upon them at Pentecost that he realized and put together the pieces that, oh my goodness, he has saved the world by his blood on a cross outside of Jerusalem. And this is what he preaches to those who had gathered to celebrate the Feast of Pentecost, who had come to Jerusalem to celebrate there from all far-reaching lands. Verse 22, he says, Men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst, as you yourselves know, this Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. God raised him up, loosing the pangs of death because it was not possible for him to be held by it. For David says concerning him, I saw the Lord always before me, for he is at my right hand that I may not be shaken. Therefore, my heart was glad and my tongue rejoiced. My flesh also will dwell in hope, for you will not abandon my soul to Hades or let your Holy One see corruption. You have made known to me the paths of life, and you will make me full of gladness with your presence. Brothers, I may say to you with confidence that the patriarch David, that he both died and was buried, and his tomb is with us to this day. Being therefore a prophet and knowing that God had sworn with an oath to him that we would set one of his descendants on his throne, he foresaw and spoke about the resurrection of Christ, that he was not abandoned to Hades, nor did his flesh seek corruption. This Jesus God raised up. And of that we are all witnesses, being therefore exalted at the right hand of God and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he has poured out this that you yourselves are seeing and hearing. For David did not ascend into heavens, but he himself says, the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. Let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. The Messiah was crucified. The one spoken of by David was killed on a cross. When the men there heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, brothers, what shall we do? And Peter said to them, repent, And be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit, for the promises for you, and for your children, and for all who are far off, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. See, the message is the same to each and every one of us. It hasn't changed 
for 2,000 years, the Father has been working through Jesus in this way to call us unto repentance. And even before that, this, this plan had been set in motion from the foundation of the earth that God would give His Son to die on a cross for us. And the call to each one of us is to recognize we've got five husbands and the one we're with is not our husband. We're caught up in the law. I think it will save us. Our wealth is a proof of our success in life. The call to each and every one of us is repent. Realize you are broken and you're without hope outside of Jesus Christ. There's no system of thought or philosophy that can bring you to perfection and before the God, our Creator. Repent and believe. For those who have come to faith in Jesus, this is recognized to us. There was a point in your life when you too saw the testimony of Jesus come deeply into your heart and say, yeah, I have no hope outside of this man, Jesus Christ. And I place my full eternal hope in him right now. You each have experienced that. And the truth is, for those who have believed, that call to repent and believe, it doesn't end. It actually continues Throughout our lives, we continually come to points in our life where we realize, man, I'm still working on that. I repent. That is not who I am. And I believe that who I am is a child of God and that His righteousness is upon me. Repent and believe. So I want to go with a couple of things. Know this, that the work of the Lord is all satisfying. <laughs> it is worth every ounce of energy and treasure and time that you put into it. It is completely fulfilling. Because when you're in the Father's work, when you're connected to, to what He is doing in the world, you are with His heart. You are celebrating life with him now, even now. Father's work is all and eternally satisfying. Know this as well, that the Lord knows our hearts and calls us each to repentance and belief. It's very simple. We often make it too complex. If this, if that. It's very simple. We're broken and we need a Savior. And this process continues throughout our lives. Lord, I repent. I believe that you have greater heights for me to go to. I repent and believe that you are bigger than this situation that I'm walking through right now. I'd encourage us this morning to, to know the Savior of the world, that He has come and He is here with us now and He's calling us each to follow Him and to do the work that is all satisfying.
the work the Lord has been doing since the beginning of time. Let's pray. God, we thank you for your work. We thank you that we don't have to bear its burden, that your burden is light, but rather we, we get to partner with you and enjoy what you're doing all around us in every circumstance and situation. You know it full well, and you have placed us where we are with purpose, with great purpose, with your purpose that those around us might call out to you and know that you are Lord. That we too might continually call out to you and see that you are Lord. You are who you said you were at the beginning of a relationship with you. You continue to be so, faithful and good, caring for every need that we have. And for that we're eternally grateful. God, I pray We would find you to be all satisfying and glorify you with every aspect of our lives. It's in the name of Jesus I pray. Amen.